The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell joining us on the phone to discuss the brand new and excellent book, Ride or Die, a feminist manifesto for the well-being of black women. Is Shanita Hubbard. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yes, and I'm so excited for this conversation because <laughs> I'm I'm pretty obsessed with uh, the idea that, you know, black women were sort of, we we do too much. We need to lay down. You know what I mean? Like we're I'm tired. You know, I don't know about you, but we're we're as collectively, I feel like black women everywhere everywhere I go, they are very tired. They are overworked. They are underpaid. They are they're they're, you know, taking care of everybody but themselves. Um and, and that that is sort of the heart of, of what you're talking about in this particular book. But it comes from this idea in hip hop, which was a song, but it, it's bigger than just one song. So take us through it. In, I think it was 1999, right. when I was in high school, the locks came out with a song, Ride or Die, Bitch. Sorry for the language. If you're riding around taking your kid to school this morning, I apologize, but that's the name of the song. Um, take us through what that song did um, and how it manifests in our in our culture. Absolutely, right? So um, I like that you started off talking about collectively like black women are like pause we're tight we're exhausted um yeah <laughs> so because yes girl so yeah the song <laughs> ride or die will we'll say chick right in case yep. that's the softer version not that i'm a big fan of that word either right but that's yep. just the, the radio friendly version um that song actually um is at its core it's about it's it's saying oh my gosh i want this woman that's going to be the most ex- do the most extreme to keep me happy. Like in the songs, they are talking about extremes. They're talking about taking a man shopping in the mall with a stolen credit card, and you know her man shopping with a stolen credit card. They're talking about she's killing her his enemies for her, right? And they're talking about you know you're coming to see me on a visit, you're coming to see me in prison, and figuring out a way to have sex with me even on a visit, right? Really extreme things. And it's, the song did not. The, the whole concept of black women doing some really extreme things to n- not just maintain relationships, whether it's maintaining community, whether it's maintaining a job, it didn't start with this song. I think a lot of us resonated with this ideal because it's not that foreign for us. Mm-hmm. Right. And yes, a lot of us may not have, <laughs> I know I did it. And I would bet you did it. Right. I nope. would bet most of the listeners, you ain't, you ain't kill your man's enemies, but a lot of us have killed pieces of ourselves to maintain relationships, whether that's, you know, romantic relationships, whether that's, you know, things that we wanted to maintain professionally in our career. So this idea of us giving so much 
for, you know, a weather, just given so much period in relationships, in communities, in our careers, without getting any reciprocity in a reward itself seems to be the fact that you're doing it, right? It's like, oh, that's fantastic. Like you did it, that's great, right? And then at some point, we, because these messages are deeper than hip hop, it's really embedded in our culture that, you know, it's our job <laughs> to do the, the, um, the, the most and everything, right? We talk about this in terms of politics, like there's even this expectation that black women will always show up and fix mm-hmm. a broken democracy, right? We, right? There's always this expectation of black women to show up and be the fix it, a cure of everything, democracy, people, relationships, anything that's broken. But at what cost? Right. This is this is a really harmful narrative. It's harmful for society to expect this from us. And it's equally harmful when we internalize it and we operate like that. So one of the things that I want to sort of drill down on is what you're talking about in terms of harm, because I don't think that the what's obvious to you and me about the, the actual harm being, you know, caused by this narrative and, you know, black women internalizing it and then behaving within this um, narrative is the real health implications, right? I mean, the idea that there is no consequence of of these kinds of archetypes and stereotypes of black women, um, that there is no damage, that is not true. I mean, black women have highest rates of high blood pressure and stroke and heart disease and um, all of the things associated with just being stressed AF all the time because you have to put your interest to the side to serve a man or the community in this instance and context a black man and the black community and your family and you're putting everybody ahead of your own own self and your own health can you talk a bit about that piece of this because i think in some ways you know uh you know if you're a casual listener of hip-hop you may not see you know, like, okay, well, maybe it's bad that you're encouraging women to, like, go above and beyond or commit crimes on behalf of their, you know, partner. But there are real health outcomes as a result of black women trying to fit this archetype. And I, I love this direction, right? Because I want to, because I, I want listeners to understand that this is not just Shanita's opinion, that we think this is mm-hmm. bad, right? Mm-hmm. There's real data that supports the notion that this is physically harmful for our bodies when we operate in this capacity. Like you said, high blood pressure, which comes with increased strokes, which also which can lead to death, right? And then there's a psychological toll about you know, stress. And if you are that person that's always, you know, that's conditioned and internalized the idea that you show up for everyone but yourself, not only are you not tending to your physical needs, but there's a great chance you're not um, tending to your emotional and mental health needs. And this is specific, and this is especially harmful for Black women, because if you couple this with the concept of weathering, it further deteriorates our bodies and our mind. Weathering is this concept, um, I'm sorry, it's too early, I can't think of the sociologist's name, but this is not mine. So I don't want you to think like, this is my data, this isn't, um, but it's brilliant, right? So weathering is this concept that talks about how racism erodes black people's bodies and mental health. Like it really does wear and tear on us and it's physically harmful for us. So couple that was also being a woman, right? A black woman who has the, the stress, the pressure, the expectation of showing up for everything and everyone but herself and the physical ramifications of that 
and combine that with weathering, it's um, it's doubly toxic, right? And it's literally killing us. So when I say the rod of die mentality is killing black women, I'm not speaking metaphorically. I'm telling you that there's physical, that there's real harm, that there's data and science to support how this is destroying our bodies, our minds. And ultimately, what harms black people, what harms and hurts black women, hurts our communities. Oh, yeah. No, it definitely hurts our communities. And, and I think in our families, I mean, you know, if you're and our family family member, um, you know, has a stroke. My mother has a stroke. So I, I, this is real for me. This is not, this is not a metaphor. There is no hypothetical here. This is all real high blood pressure. I, I mean, I often joke on this show. I mean, it's a joke that I go back to, like, I need to keep my blood pressure nice and even. That's a joke I, I make, but I'm serious because it's real for me. Um, I'm, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. I want to, I want to, since we're speaking like really candidly here. Yeah. So about about three days ago, um, my grandmother passed. Oh, I'm so and, sorry. Um, I'm of so course, sorry. thank you. And it's always brutal. And it's especially brutal because it's the holiday times. But it feels like another layer of torture because she's the matriarch, right? Mm-hmm. She's the head of our families. And, and she's passed. And there's going to be ramifications, right? There's going to be a domino effect. Of, because, of course, we're all grieving now, right? So everyone's close during this time. But what happens when the matriarch passes, when that matriarch is, has always been the glue, when she's always been the person to help ensure the family stays connected, when she's always been the person to shoulder most of the physical labor, to help and ensure the family reunions are close, right? To help ensure that the family gatherings are staying. When, when we've always pr- placed that on her, that's always been her responsibility. When we lose her, there's very little, there's very few of us that can step in and shoulder that. And then the family starts to, there's ramifications for that. I hope, you know, the family doesn't crumble. But a lot of times that's when families start to lose their connectedness because the person that we kind of placed in that position to shoulder that intense generational responsibility for keeping us together for eons when she's gone, because none, because so few of us have shared in that labor with her, yeah. we don't all, we don't really know how we're going to keep that going, right? So not only is that harmful for us, right? We're talking about like on a larger scale, but even on a micro level in our own families, when you place this type of responsibility and expectations on the matriarch, the black, whether it's your grandmother, whether it's your auntie, whether it's the mothers, right? To always be that glue. You, they're the people that make sure that that decide and make sure that. Thanksgiving is still happening. They're cooking. They're mm-hmm. buying the food. They're cleaning up. They're doing the same thing for Christmas. They're doing the same thing in the summertime when it comes to the barbecues. They're doing the same thing, you know, when it comes to keeping family reunions, right? If we're not evenly distributing that labor, when they pass, we don't know how to do that. And our families suffer. This is so real because we just had a real conversation last night in my house. This is true about what we were going to do for Thanksgiving because mm-hmm. I don't cook. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't cook well. Air fryer has facilitated me to make edible food recently, but I am not. My mom taught me, but I forgot. Like, I literally, like, am out of practice. Mm-hmm. My sister is mm-hmm. always, she's the one that stepped in. She's the one that's like, I'm going to make, you know, all of the, the traditional sides. Like, she's the one that tr- is trying to step in and fill that void. And then I'm, I don't know how. And my dad is like, I'll eat anything. So, you know, this is a real thing, and I'm sure other families can relate to what I am talking about right now. I also want to talk a bit about the other archetypes of of black women that are harmful, because there are many, and and some of them are even related to the ride-or-die chick that we're talking about, right? Because 
you know, there is an over-sexualized sort of Jezebel archetype and stereotype uh, traditionally, historically. Mm -hmm. Then there's also the angry black woman, which we always have to work. Even if we are legitimately angry or legitimately harmed and wrong, we're not allowed to show it. Um, And also the strong black woman. Um, it, It fits in with what we're talking about this morning. Can you talk a bit about how many of these sort of archetypes of black women and who they are you know, they don't allow us to be vulnerable. They don't allow us to be, you know, like there's this whole TikTok trend of like living a soft life. I mean, at the heart of that is this idea that I don't always want to have to be on guard, you know, because if I'm outside in public as a woman, I got to worry about street harassment, sexual harassment, being groped in the subway. Then once the time I actually get into the office, somebody's telling me to smile on the way to my desk. And so like being a black woman, you're sort of running through this daily gauntlet with all of these stereotypes, you know, over your head and, and, and some of us, you know, we're trying to resist not, not being forced into one of these boxes. Mm-hmm. And I, I, girl, I'm sitting here nodding my head. So, hard, <laughs> right? so there, there, it's almost, okay. So let's start with like the angry black woman trope. She's probably the big cousin of the ride or die chick, right? Cause before we were using that language, mm-hmm. there was the angry black woman, right? And let, and we can, let's unpack these layers about, how we got here and why that's harmful like and we actually we can't unpack all of the layers because we don't have 17 hours right now right (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna give like the abbreviated version honestly and truly black women do have reasons to be angry sometimes and that's okay right can you imagine like the 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 fate of democracy just being placed on your back right in this country Mm -hmm. politicians don't necessarily make policies that are Centering us, right? Centering our specific needs, but there's still a fantastic expectation that Black women are the ones who mobilize the votes and show up and it's, you know, save the country, save America from itself. So we have this this larger expectation of who we have to be, and we've already talked about you know, who we have to be and who we are in our families. And then we've always talked about the expectations in our interpersonal relationships, coupled with the fact that a lot of us are seen as, we are seen as over-sexualized Jezebels. So what that does is that gives people, in their mind, you know, they, they feel like they have permission to, if we're walking down the street, to say something about our fat asses or, you know, say something about our bodies. And even if you're not grabbing us, you know, you're saying things to us, right? So this is just how we exist in the world, coupled with the fact that we're going to work. And the data tells us that we are the most educated group in America, but we're also, but we're not paid evenly with white mm-hmm. men, right? So here we are going to work underpaid, um, brilliant probably running circles around other folks in our in our um, office spaces but still not equally compensated who knows what we had to endure to get through those doors and god forbid we happen to do this without a smile you get stuck with that angry black woman trope and that angry black woman trope is really next door to that super strong black woman right yep. it all fits together but what happens when you have a society that sees us as angry and so strong and like these ride or die chicks, these things are dehumanizing, right? So when you see a black woman, let's just say, even if she is a powerful, beautiful superstar and she gets shot by um, a black man and she painfully shares her story with the whole world after she tries to protect that man, sometimes the world will then ridicule her. 
have the nerve to put her in the song and make her the pun of the joke. It's easy to do this when you see the see when you don't see us as human. It's easy to do this when you don't when you see us as these angry, strong black woman types. Who's gonna who needs to protect somebody so strong? Who needs to think about the feelings of somebody that's so angry and that can handle everything and be such a ride of God? So there's real life implications and how we're treated. Not only is it harmful for us. But there's real life implications of how the world shows up when we are harmed. It's almost, you know, like, oh, she got it. It's like it almost doesn't even register as if it was harm done mm-hmm. because we're so strong and we got it and we okay. Right. No, and, and, and it's like, no, we actually don't got it. <laughs> I don't got it. Like, sometimes I need uh-huh. support. You know what I mean? I, I'm strong, sure, because I had to live in this body all my life. And so you, you get some thick skin, I suppose. Um, there's probably a better way to describe it, but like certainly living as a black woman, you know, it, it gives you a certain level of fortitude, but that fortitude and Mm -hmm. that wall I have to put up to survive the world, like that is harmful to me because I'm not able to, you know, have deep relationships in some circumstances because I have this wall up protecting myself from the world because I'm Mm -hmm. black and a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So last question I have in the last few minutes, I want to make sure to to include this in our discussion which is the fact that the ride or die chick is straight she's a heterosexual woman can you talk about how we are erasing the entire aspect of an experience of of being a black person if you are not straight (laughs) that is that is really true because when we even think about these tropes and and when you describe okay so rewind the tape for a second and going back to that song it is at its core is a is a it's a very it's a heterosexual model it's this man saying this is what he wants for this straight woman so we're defining even though it's falsely right it's really mm-hmm. it's a it's a skewed standard it's a harmful standard but even the tropes that we describe they still don't even leave room for queer women right it's described as a height of a relationship even though it's not a height i want anyone to ascribe to but it's still saying it's still erasing like queer relationships dynamics even though i do i don't know exactly how they manifest i would be i'm definitely sure that there is a way that this manifests within like queer dynamics too mm-hmm. especially but yes even with this whole this ideal idealized notion of what this wonderful relationship is supposed to be it, it, even in that frame we are erasing our queer sisters and that's one of the things i know i just want to i want to wrap this up i know we press the time like the first chapter of my book, I'm hoping that readers, by the time they get to the last sentence, that they are willing to just defund the ride or die industrial complex. We're ready to burn that down, tear that down. We're not doing that anymore. And then the rest of the book talks about other areas of our lives that I want us to pay attention to, to unpack, mm. to interrogate, to explore, so that we can center our wellness. And one of those areas include our dynamic i'm i'm a cis hetero black woman and one of those dynamics include is how are we supporting how are we showing up and how and some of us are harmful to our queer sisters mm-hmm. but it is a dynamic that i want us to explore i want us to be done riding out for the whole world to forget about ourselves and explore the important areas of our lives and i want us to recognize that that's an important area of our lives too our sisterhood with, with black straight women and queer women it's so important. I mean, community and, and that sisterhood is important. And also, um, you know, the idea of wellness, not self-care, because, you know, self-care is this kind of thing that we're sort of pressured into thinking that we need to do because our life is stressful, as opposed to thinking about the ways in which we can include rest in our lives mm-hmm. um, as, mm-hmm. a, as like an actual thing. Like I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, um, you know, my I was talking to my therapist 
and she's not a black woman, but she's she's, you know, on it. Like, you know, we've been um, working together for 10 years. And so she she knows me so well. And, you know, I'm like talking to her about how I think I need to get a hobby. And she said, no, you need to you need to find a nap, not a hobby. Like you need to find a rest. <laughs> you need to schedule your mm. naps like they are meetings that are mm. not movable from your calendar, just like a meeting. Like if somebody mm-hmm. says, are you free at one o'clock? You say, no, I am not without any explanation. Mm-hmm. And you don't feel bad about it. <laughs> and go. so that was my my mm. way of radically trying to center my wellness um, in the pandemic years when I had two whole jobs at the same time. So um I I can have this conversation with you all day, Um, but we're out of time today. But I would love to have you back because this is an ongoing conversation. I think we should continue to have Shanita Hubbard, author of the book, which everybody should buy, Ride or Die, a feminist manifesto for the well-being of black women. And notice she didn't say self-care because they know sheep mess. Thank you. Gonna gonna fix oppression, okay? It's not, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here this morning. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.